gardeners, farmers, compost enthusiasts, and growers. Welcome to The Healthy Garden, the show where soil is important and growing a healthier world is job one. Hola, my true organic gardening friends. I know that recently we've been spending a lot of time talking about food safety and food insecurity on the Healthy Garden podcast, and with good reason. Because we're living in an insane moment in time where nothing resembles anything that we could call normal or even reality. None of us really know the truth about what is going on And each passing day, some other piece of information is released and then played incessantly over the idiot box by the idiot commentators to drive fear into the hearts and minds of the citizens. The new explosion that we've just gotten is that the entire food industry in this country is on the verge of collapse. They're killing pigs and leaving them in piles to rot. They're letting potatoes and other crops rot. They say because they can't get the food from the farm to the people. Really? That seems ridiculous. It seems absurd to me. It seems more like rhetoric and worse, a plan to wipe out the little guy in the ag chain. Big food, big chem, big medicine. They'll all survive. But the little guys, the organic family farms, they're having a hell of a time surviving this shutdown over the entire world by both big and little governments and the phonies and charlatans who run them. In this episode, number 30, Practical Pest Management for the True Organic Garden, we're going to deal with the actual food safety and food security that we face on a daily basis from all of the pests, those fabulous pests that we encounter on the battlefields that our garden can become. Practical Pest Management for the True Organic Garden is my version of IPM, Integrated Pest Management, which is just another big shot way of saying killing pest that you try to kill until you have to pull out the poison. Maybe you can tell that I'm not a fan of the university-driven IPM programs that the Master Gardeners and the USDA NOP hawk because they've all been created by big research dollars from big chem for big ag, which I think makes them a big bag of crap. I don't need some phony baloney program that allows the use of pesticides in my clean, safe, true organic, healthy garden. Why? Because there's absolutely no need to. The roadmap to a healthy garden is this. True organic, good. Non-GMO, good. Organic, questionable. Pesticides, bad. Glyphosate, bad. Faux organic, bad. Healthy gut, good. IPM program, questionable. Healthy soil, good. Practical pest management, good. So sit back in your comfy chair or in your hot rod as you cruise down the empty streets of your locked down town and listen to what you can do to keep pesticides, herbicides, and fungicides out of your true organic garden with practical pest control.
your thoughts upon the avenue Standing here and wondering what to do What am I to do? Baby, now when I'm blessed in a view I'm capable to be your man But I guess that you just don't want me to I'll have to be what I was before I fulfilled myself with you Hey there, pest managers. Malibu Compost makes teas for every type of growing situation. Have white fly or powdery mildew on your roses? Get a sleeve of compost tea for flowering plants and roses. Have aphids on your veggies? Spray them with a Malibu Compost tea for fruits, vegetables, and tomatoes. It will also take care of any fungal disease on your tomatoes, peppers, and squash. Also, Remember to drench all of your plants once a month during the growing season with the selected tea for your application. Pick up a sleeve today at your local independent retailer or shop online at malibucompost.com. Gary. We've all been there, all of us gardeners who have ever tried to grow anything. We get the beds going, the containers going, the plants in the ground. We start to water and nurture and care for all of the beautiful life in the garden. And then, bam, bugs. Holes in leaves, scale-covered plants, flies and gnats everywhere. And then that one prized strawberry or tomato that you were going to harvest the next day as it ripened on the vine or on the plant. And then you go outside and you're all excited to harvest only to find that damn rat ripped it off the plant, took two bites, and then threw it on the ground to show you who's boss. That is one of the most crushing defeats that any of us gardeners will ever face in our gardens. Nothing makes me madder than that. And in fact, that happened to me over the weekend. The weather is just starting to warm up where we live. And we noticed a couple of really big, juicy strawberries turning red in our strawberry pots. We were going to harvest them for our Sunday family brunch. But no, somebody or something else had a different plan for our brunch. On Saturday, we all asked each other if someone had eaten one of the berries. No. No one had touched them, but we couldn't find any evidence of foul play. We thought maybe that Fury, the elfin wonder dog, had decided to try a berry. Then we found the evidence that a crime had been committed in the garden. A half-eaten berry was discovered under some pots, 
in a different area. The perpetrator had committed the murder of our prize berry and then moved the body. My face was as red as the berry ripening on the wood shavings that cover the base of our berry pots. I knew that it wasn't our three and a half pound dog. I knew it was a rat. A dirty rat, as James Cagney would say. A dirty rat. And I was going to get him. So pesticides have been with us for a long time. The first farmers did not so much control as allow pests. They'd plant enough for themselves in the pest, such as deer and rabbits, insects. In 2500 BC, the ancient Sumerians used sulfur compounds to kill insects. It is the earliest record of any type of actual insect pest control. Next, the Egyptians and Chinese started to use herbs and oils to control insects. Around 300 BC, the Chinese recognized the connection between climate and periodic biological phenomena. This led them to timing when they'd plant a crop so that they could avoid pest attacks. They also began to begin using natural enemies to control pests. They used ants on citrus with bamboo string tied across the trees to create an ant highway to manage caterpillars and large borers. By 1100 AD, the Chinese also discovered that using soap was a great pesticide, and that's something that I still do today. In the 1600s, nicotine that was extracted from tobacco was used as a wash applied to pear trees to control lace bugs. In the 1760s, an extract from tobacco leaves was sprayed on vegetation as tobacco water or tobacco powder to fight plant lice, and then crushed tobacco leaves were used to control aphids. For over a hundred years, they used tobacco smoke in greenhouses and under tents and hoods outdoors to kill aphids. In 1814, tobacco was used in the U.S. for aphids and ultimately became an active ingredient in Blackleaf 40, which was used to kill aphids and other bugs until the 1900s when they realized that it also killed people. Problem. In more recent times, we've all heard the term nicotine when referring to neonicotinoids. They are a new class of insecticides that chemically related to nicotine. The name literally means new nicotine, like insecticides. Like nicotine, the neonicotinoids act on certain kinds of receptors in the nerve synapse. These chemicals are the ones associated with the bee colony collapse. Another botanical that we still see is pyrethrum, which is extracted from chrysanthemum. It's been used as a delouser since 400 BC in Persia. During the Napoleonic Wars, all the way through World War II, pyrethrum was used to delouse troops. In the early 1900s, it finally came out in a sprayable form introduced to use in fighting bugs. The modern world of pest eradication took a turn towards the 1930s with DDT. It was first synthesized by a German graduate student in 1873, and then Paul Muller saved many lives, realizing it was an insecticide that they could use on body lice and typhus. It had such an impact on human health that Muller won a 1948 Nobel Prize for Medicine. During World War II, both the Germans and the Allies working on the development of organophosphates as a nerve gas discovered that they had insecticidal properties. After World War II, development of other chlorinated hydrocarbons and organophosphates were used as pesticides. In the early 50s and 60s, the Green Revolution, 
this is big, you guys, synthetic pesticides and fertilizers were the answer to world hunger. This is what they believed. This mentality is with us today still on some level. In 1962, Rachel Carson's book, Silent Spring, brought the issue of pesticide safety to the attention of the public. DDT had been found in milk and in foods. Resistance of pests created superbugs and superweeds. The response of the book eventually led to public policy changes in the 70s. The 70s finally brought us the modern IPM approaches to pest control. The USDA created nationwide IPM programs in land grants and universities. Mm-hmm. The EPA was given jurisdiction over pesticide registration and regulation in the 1980s. The increase in pesticide research in the 90s happened with genetic engineering applications in agriculture. The new genetically engineered BT crops, corn and potatoes, came into use, and the whole world of modern IPM has moved away from heavy pesticide use to heavy herbicide use with all of the Roundup-ready GMO crops that we have been feeding the world for years now. You've all heard me talk about keeping those demons from, from big ag out of your garden, but that's not my focus today. We know they're bad, horrible. Don't use bone meal, blood meal, feather meal or faux organic products with chicken manure in them. Keep the pesticides out of your garden products that you use. Don't use anything with cottonseed meal in it or anything with municipal green waste in it. But next, my 11 steps to practical pest management and what happened to that dirty rat. Hi, it's Norma, biological farmer and producer of the Healthy Garden podcast. Unfortunately, even though we're using true organic protocols in our garden, our neighbors are most likely not. Their use of pesticides is creating more pests in their gardens season after season. It's not a permanent solution to use pesticides. It's a Band-Aid. The truth of the matter is you have to get to the reason why the pests come. When the plants are stressed, that's when they most come. The plants come into gardens I tend because of obvious reasons to me now. Is there white fly on this hibiscus because it's in the shade most of the day? Is there an outbreak of aphids because we didn't supplement hand watering during extremely hot weather conditions? Are ants and aphids taking over the orchard and compromising the flower and fruit production because we let a small situation get out of hand? Are there ants visiting the veggie garden because the garden is located right next to the trash area? Are the plumeria getting leafhopper because they're planted in a cold microclimate? 
Visit your garden daily. Observe and interact with it. Check neighbor's garden's health around your garden to make sure there's no outbreak that will invade your garden too. One thing I can tell you for sure is that there are less and less pests each year in the gardens I tend while using true organic protocols and practical pest management and never pesticides. It's a dark, cold world out there. There's a time to live and a time for a man to die. So the rat that ate our strawberry was really bugging me. So I was fixing on getting him and getting him good. But that is going to have to wait until the end of my steps. First, let's talk about my beef with IPM. The problem starts with the fact that IPM programs were developed by universities and that universities have ties to Big Chem and Big Ag. Frankly, that is just the truth of the matter. University studies and programs cannot keep their purse strings separate from the task at hand. Therefore, all research, all programs, protocols, and certifications that have anything to do with university research are tainted. I believe that to be so. Now, that is not to say that all of the information in the UCIPM program is bad. And I live in California, so I use that program, and there's some good information for gardeners to glean from the UCIPM program. But when we get right into it, most IPM programs that I've looked at are kind of pesticide-obsessed. Let's take a look at this excerpt right out of What is IPM, their brochure from UC. In the third paragraph, we see, what about pesticides? All right, what about them? Most pests can be managed without using pesticides. Use pesticides only if non-chemical controls are ineffective and monitoring confirms that pests are reaching intolerable or damaging levels. If pesticides are necessary, use them in combination with non-chemical methods described above. Choose pesticides carefully. Use the least toxic, yet effective material that targets the pest but has little impact on human health and the environment. What are they talking about? Don't use pesticides? Okay. But then, boom. Use them only if non-chemical controls don't work? What? And if you have to use pesticides, then please use them with non-pesticide methods at the same time? Did an insane person write this, or is it just me? (laughs) 
And finally, let's close with the killer. Literally, if pesticides are necessary, then make sure that you choose wisely because otherwise you might harm, in parentheses, kill you, your garden, and the environment. Does that example illustrate why I'm not a huge fan of university-driven IPM programs? I hope so. So let's get to my list. Mariachis, please. One, a hand water as necessary with a wand that doesn't leak and has a nice shower effect. Hand watering is so much more beneficial to your soil and plants, and it helps eliminate getting moisture on your leaves that can create fungal disease and tissue damage. Two, I run a daily morning and evening inspection of the garden, especially the edible raised beds and the fruit trees. I look under the leaves and around the areas of my new growth. I look for any signs of nibbling at the new leaf growth areas. Lastly, I look for any signs of disease. I just recently found cabbage worms on our kale by doing this. Three. Here's what I did. I remove any of the bugs that I can by hand. Doing this daily is more manageable and prevents a huge outbreak later. Four, I will make and use a compost tea extraction for my fruits, vegetables, and tomatoes. This disrupts the bugs' feedings on my plants, and many bugs do not like the smell or taste of the compost tea on the soft tissue of plants. Five, I also... Use compost tea on any disease, any fungal disease or outbreaks that I see in the garden. It stops powdery mildew in its tracks. Six, I like to use a really simple mixture, one uh, teaspoon of Dr. Bronner's peppermint soup and five gallons of water or four drops in a medium spray bottle to spray on white fly and aphid outbreaks in the garden. Do this only in the early morning hours so that the sun doesn't bake the water droplets on your leaves and burn them. Seven, I make a soil drench of beneficial nematodes. SC, SF, and HB nematodes that will hunt down and kill the larvae of many of the pests that hide in the soil in the garden. Applying these microscopic roundworms is one of the best lines of defense that I can recommend. Can you believe that you can stop 90% of your pest issues at the soil level? You can. Number eight, another thing that I'll occasionally do is release ladybugs and lacewings if I see an outbreak of aphids or whitefly. Make sure to water the garden just before you release them in the evening. They're going to want to drink and hydrate before they go to work. The other beneficial that we use in our garden with great success to wipe out a ton of pests is the predator wasps. Parasitic wasps help get rid of aphids, beetle larvae, bagworms, cabbage worms, potato beetle, corn ear worms, cucumber beetles, cutworms, leaf miner, mealybugs, scale, vine borers. Fantastic. I can't say enough about these wonderful beneficial insects. Ten. This leads me to ants. We've all got ants and we all have to deal with them. This is one of the areas of practical pest control that I will actually use a low dose, and I mean super low dose, NOP, organic farming approved toxin in my yard. 
We put out ant bait stations that we get from Rincon Vitoba, the Ant Pro Ant Control System. They're a green Martian-looking kind of thing that kills and destroys entire ant colonies, not just the individual foragers. It's a feed-on-demand liquid bait delivery system, and it is effective against carpenter ants, fire ants, Argentine ants, white-footed ants, crazy ants, as well as a number of other ants. Uh, What's great about this is you've got a system where the ants go and feed without broadcasting any poisons or pesticides, you know, to the environment. Their gourmet liquid bait is disodium octaborate tetrahydrate, and it is the active ingredient. It's basically chemically the same as borax or a salt of boric acid. The other ingredient in there is sugar water. Number 11, and last but not least, rats. I use rat traps. This is the very last thing I do every evening in my garden at home. I know this probably grosses some of you out, but hey, I'm growing food to feed my family, not to feed a bunch of rats. As soon as it's about to be dusk, I cut up little cubes of some raw organic cheese from the refrigerator and take six or so out of the, of the old school Victor rat traps and go out into the garden. I place this really nice cheese on the traps and then place them around the garden near the things that I know the rats will go after. Tomatoes, strawberries, cucumbers, lettuce starts. At least I know their last meal is going to be a healthy one. So on this past Saturday night, I set the traps out with a nice, finely diced, raw, organic cheese. I set them very close to the strawberry pots and along the wall that leads into the garden from the hillside. That's where the dirty rats live. You need to keep the traps near the wall because the dirty, rotten rats like to sneak into your garden, staying out of sight. Well, guess what? The proud hunter went out to see what happened the next morning. I was ready to claim my rat prize. I hope that rat enjoyed his last meal. I turned the corner to see that none of the traps had been touched. The cheese, just as I had set it out. I hurried over to the berry pots to make sure the big prize berry was still safe and sound. That dirty rat. He'd made a fool out of me. And there it was right behind the container, a giant red, perfectly ripened strawberry with two bites out of it. Right there for me to see, to show me that that rat was laughing at me as he napped in his rat lair down the hill. This was war. I thought and I thought and I thought and then I thought some more. What was I going to do? This rat was brilliant. The Einstein of rats. He was going to eat my berries all spring and summer long. I was crushed. And then it hit me. I was going to go buy some organic strawberries and then slice them up and put them out. On the traps that night, I went to Whole Foods. I found some big, fat berries, and as darkness was on the edge of my garden, I slipped out and set my traps. This was it. I knew Einstein was going down. I didn't get a great sleep last night. Maybe it was the rat. Maybe it was that I overate at our family Sunday brunch. I woke at dawn. I woke up and put my boots on. And then I walked on down the hall. Now, what happened next? I don't want to say. 
And frankly, I don't want to bore you with the details. But let's just say Einstein, he's in strawberry fields forever. That's it. There you have it. (laughs) My practical pest control regimen for the true organic garden. No poison except for the ant bait station that has a 1% bad solution kept inside the Martian Tower. And nothing that the university IPM programs consider safe like BT or Spinosad, which when you look at the safety data on them, always says not very toxic to mammals. If you dig a little deeper on this, you get to see the glorious history of the use of BT with our wonderful GMO crops. As well as in the case of Spinosad, you'll see that when they fed heavy doses to rats, they died. Pass. As with most things that are great and wonderful, the clean, safe, true organic, healthy garden is a little more labor-intensive than the faux organic or conventional garden, but it's absolutely worth it in the long run. What could be better than safe and healthy plants and food grown in a safe and healthy environment? that make you safer, healthier, and more alive when you eat from your healthy garden. Managing your pests is critical to your harvest, to your abundance, to your sustenance. Follow the list and enjoy your garden. What could be more practical? That concludes this episode of the Healthy Garden Podcast. Please post your questions on the Healthy Garden Podcast pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join us next week to learn more about how you can free yourself from the chemical and synthetic trap that's been set to keep you from growing a true, organic, and healthy garden. Until then, happy and healthy gardening.